Today I thought it'd be appropriate to continue the Christmas story if you have your Bibles turn with me to Luke's account, chapter 2. If I can have a little bit of uh, the sound taken out of the monitors, it's just bouncing up here. And I meant what I just said to continue the Christmas story. That's where I want to go. I want to pick up on the rest of the story. Those of us that have a little bit of age on us remember a particular um, radio host that we enjoyed so much. His name was Paul Harvey. Oh, yeah, you're out there. And there was a couple of different statements that he would always say on his broadcast that we got used to. One of them was, and for the rest of the story. And then uh, quite often you'd hear him say, page two. And that's where we are today, the continuing of the Christmas story. It is, um, we have the birth of Jesus, but it doesn't stop there, does it? It's recorded for us, it's in God's eternal word, so why, why, why don't we just stop at the nativity scene? It's so, so pristine in our mind that the way we have it. We know that eight days later, of course, Jesus, being a male child, was to be circumcised. And of course, in fact, he was, and it was on that day he was officially awarded with the name that's so special to us, Yeshua, Jesus, Joshua, salvation. But the story doesn't end there because, of course, uh, Mary, his mother, giving birth to her firstborn, was to keep herself in quarantine, so to speak, for what was known as the days of purification. When a woman would give birth to a male, uh, you know, the son, she would have to go through purification for 40 days. For a daughter, it was 80 days. And so now after eight days in the circumcision, 40 days for purification, now we have the story that has quite a meaning to us today where we're going to pick up when they're taking Jesus to the temple and they bring him there and they're coming there to give thanks and they're giving sacrifice and because they were not wealthy people, they're giving a couple turtle doves and they meet someone by the name of Simeon. I'm going to ask you to stand with me one more time as we read God's word together. It should really speak to us today. I want to pick up chapter 2 verses 25 through 35. And now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was a righteous and a devout man, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Notice, notice this is before Pentecost, of course. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had, would see the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled 
at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Many of you, of course, are used to who I am and, and how the word speaks to me. And I'm a person, I, the older I get, the more that I just don't want to live with a shallow experience. I want depth. I want something with substance. When it comes to our devotion to the Lord, I don't want just an experience. And, and we've all heard this expression from somebody in our life that say, well, as long as I make it to heaven by the skin of my teeth. Now, first of all, that is one gross mental picture. But I don't want to just make it to heaven. I don't want just to get by in life. Jesus promised that we may have life and have it abundantly. I want, I want all that God has for me. Can I hear an amen in the house? I mean that sincerely. And so it causes me in study and, and oh, I don't want to just stop at the Christmas story as we know it, and I'm not taking anything away from the, the joy that we receive from thinking of the shepherds and uh, ultimately the wise men and their experience in, in the Christmas story. We think about so many wonderful things. We think about those angels. We think about the heavenly host speaking. But right in the midst of all of it is this story that is very much a part of the story as any of the rest of it. And it should speak to us today. Because here we have an individual known as Simeon, a righteous man, a devout man. And he is clinging on to a promise. He said, I want to see the consolation of Israel. This word consolation, we know what it means. You don't have to really go to a dictionary to get the gist of what he's saying. Is I want, I want that message that brings comfort to all of us. There's a promise, as Pastor Darrell had already shared, about the bondage that these people knew in their heritage. Here they are believing for better times, to be comforted. And there would be one that would bring it, the Prince of Peace, the Messiah would bring it to them. And I, I want to see it. I wonder how many of us are trusting God for something. And it's one thing to trust God as a congregation or as a family unit. But all of us have those things that are in our hearts that we want God to do personally for us. It doesn't make us selfish, but we're trusting God for a certain thing, a certain experience. We're believing for somebody so close to us to come to salvation or, or healing. Whatever it is, there are those things that they trust in their heart. Kristen just shared with me another story of, of what her mother was expecting as she was being given to her mother as a child. And she wondered having black hair and coming out singing. So Kristen come out screaming out of the womb, still singing today. That's a story of what somebody was trusting God for. 
And so it is with us, and so it is with Simeon. I want to see this. I believe it's close. It ought to speak to us today. How many believe Jesus is coming again? And we believe he's coming in our lifetime. Now, we know we've had many predecessors that believe that have gone on with the Lord. Billy Graham was the first one that came to mind as I was having that thought. He really believed that. He lived to be 100 years old, and yet he didn't see that. And yet it was something in his heart, something in our heart. There are many things that God places in our heart. It gives us the purpose of life. It gives us a, a reason to pray. It gives us a, an ability to, to hone in the skills of what it really means to trust God for something. Because when you start believing for something, all hell is going to break loose against you to try to cheat you from that, cause you to be discouraged. And we learn through that course of things that, God, if I can trust you for this and you deliver, then I can trust you for greater things. And I really can trust you that there's a place called heaven and the that my loved ones who believed in you are there and I'll get to see them again. You see what all these things do for us. Simeon is that example, believing for the consolation of not only himself but all of Israel. But for us, many times when we hear consolation, what do we readily think of? The consolation prize. That is not what this is. You see, a consolation prize is awarded to losers right? I've been on a lot of sports teams. I've had my brains beat out many a day on a diamond or a court. And there's always someone that come along and said, well, we'll give them the consolation prize. We'll give them the sportsmanship award. You always know when you get the sportsmanship awards because you lost the series. Come on, somebody, you've played ball. That's not what this is. This is not the consolation prize. The Constellation Prize, again, is awarded to those who didn't win it, but they performed very well. But that's still not who we are. Simeon was trusting for something far grander, the consolation of a nation, of a people. The promise that we've been given, I want to see it. And in this, of course, then we find out that he makes these statements. And one of it is that this constellation that he got to not only see but to hold in his arms represents a light to the Gentiles. Here we are. Here we are. That very thing promised we're fulfilling in our lifetime. Think about it. The light or the revelation that is given to a people that we can understand God, that we can experience God, the revelation, the illumination. How many of you have taken time this week in his word? And then it speaks to you. How long has it been since you've had that personal experience where you're reading it devotionally, but all of a sudden it just takes your breath and it's like, oh my goodness, he's doing it again. This word is a rhema word. How many experienced it this week? It's speaking to you. It is a part of that light of the revelation. But not only that, then we see that it's the fall and the rising. Not the rising and the fall, the fall and the rising of so many. Again, reminding us of the unbelief. This baby that we celebrate at this time became a stumbling block. And it hasn't changed, has it? 
Jesus is the line of demarcation. There's a lot of people that you'll meet in life that will say, oh, I'm a Christian. But when you get into the more serious tenets of our faith, oh, well, I don't really believe in all that. Or I don't know what to do with that. But I'm a Christian. You see, Jesus becomes that stumbling block. Do I really believe that Jesus is God? Do I really believe that he was with the Father on the days of creation and created all things? Do I believe that? Do I believe that in time, the plan was for him to make himself abased and become the form of a servant, a peasant, wrapped in swaddling clothes and would be tempted in every point of life like we are? Do I believe that? Do I believe that he was human as well as God and that he went through an entire lifetime, 33 years, and never sinned? Do I really believe that? Do I believe that he never murmured about somebody or talked behind somebody's back? Do I really believe that he never got on Facebook and got caught up in the gossip? Do I believe that? Do I believe that even though he was tempted, he never sinned in a sexual way? Surely he had opportunity. Do I really believe these things? And do I believe that when he died on a cross, that he died for me? Do I really believe that by the shedding of his blood, it makes a difference in my life today? You see, that's the stumbling block because you don't get just to pick and choose. Well, I think that's pretty cool. That probably happened, but there is no way I'm taking that. There's the stumbling block. The fall and the rising of many. This is the way Jesus put it in John. We have it recorded, John 3, 19 and 20. A light has come into this world, and the people love darkness more than they love light. You see, Jesus, as we know, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was in the beginning, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. And that word became the light of men. That light, again, given to the world. We still struggle with it today. Not just people that aren't in church buildings today. Even ourselves, we find ourselves being tempted with darkness. Oh, maybe not all of it. Maybe your thing isn't this part of darkness but there's an allurement to darkness. There's something mesmerizing about darkness. There's, some, there's a mystique about darkness. We're, we will always battle it. That's why we need the light that he offers. Without his assistance, we will fail. We'll grope in darkness. Scriptures tell us we were called out of what? Darkness. Where? Unto, into his marvelous light. You see, this Christmas story really is much more than a pristine little story. There's so much there. Do you know what Christmas is really all about? One thing and one thing only. Oh, we add a lot to it and we enjoy all those things. But the reason 
that the baby came to Bethlehem was for one reason, redemption. He had us in mind. I could go around this congregation and pick out the ones I thought were better than somebody else. Some of you are amazingly wonderful people. Some of you are a little less than that. Can I hear an amen? (laughs) Humanly speaking, we could go around and we could pick and choose who we think. But the truth is, the babe of Bethlehem came for all of us. A light to the Gentiles and to all peoples. What what an amazing proclamation that Simeon is making when he himself being a Jew in the Jewish holy temple with a Jewish family and yet we're included in the story. You see, our problem that we battle with is this can become too commonplace. It's just another part of the Christmas season and we'll get over it because the next thing, we got New Year's ahead and we're gonna celebrate that then we're gonna get into Valentine's Day and then we're gonna get into Groundhog Day or whatever your thing is. And yet in the midst of all this beautiful story that we do celebrate is the story of redemption. We need a savior. That's why the angel told those shepherds, for unto you, I got great joy, story to tell you, a Savior has been born. Go down and and behold him. There's one more thing in this story that doesn't sound real pretty at all, and yet maybe it's the most prolific of all. Simeon holds baby Jesus in his arms. You think about the newborns have been commenting about the day that we're celebrating. Jesus is a newborn in the arms of Simeon, just a couple months old, hearing him cooing. And he looks over at dad and mom and he said, there's a sword, it's piercing your heart. Well, thank you for ruining this wonderful deal that I'm going through right now. Why would you talk about a sword? And this is where you and I got to pay close attention. Because in this Christmas story, again, as he, I'll read it again, verse 35, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I went back to that and I thought, you know, I've really never looked close enough to that. Why would he mention a sword at this time? Is it important to us? And you see, that sword he's talking about always is talking about redemption. The blade, the cutting of a blade has been a part since the beginning when sin showed up the first time, and it has continued. What do you mean, Pastor? We gotta be reminded here we have Adam and Eve and everything is great. They're in that garden, they're having a big time. Everything goes well until they disobey. And now God says, I'll have to banish you from the tree of life. And as he's removing them from that garden, 
What is it that shows up? A flaming sword moving to and fro in every which way. In other words, why would that sword show up then? It's never been visible before. Why? What's its purpose? When sin shows up, that blade has to show up. Wow. In this case, that flaming sword banishing from that garden was protecting that tree of life. Because again, if Adam and Eve, if either one of them had ever been able to get back to that tree of eternal life in a fallen state, they would have been lost forever. That's why he said there'll be the falling and the rising. That sword kept them from getting back to that tree of life. But as we look through the Old Testament and you and I, we study it, we read it, but do we really grasp all that happens when sin shows up in people's life and people have to sacrifice animals that come again under the blade, the shedding of blood, once again, each time there's sin. Every time Miss Sheila would sin, there had to be an animal pay the price for your sin, Sister Sheila. How many animals have died in your place? Carrie just shaking his head. I, I often comment in this area because we just live in such a comfortable culture that we don't know how to handle depth anymore. We get, we get frazzled at the least little thing. We get offended over the least little thing. But something that ought to be challenging us, we don't, we don't want to deal with it. But think today, if, if Jesus hadn't come, what if he hadn't come? How many animals would be slaughtered in the front lawn of this church this week because of our collective sin? That blade showed up every time. And finally, Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was slain, slain before the foundation of the world, would walk down the Via Dolorosa. This is part of the Christmas story, Pastor. You better believe it's all connected. Because as he was hung on that cross, what we forget about is also the spear, the blade once again that thrust his side. And once again, the blood would flow. But this is where we ought to rejoice. Because that time, the penalty of sin was being paid for. So where does it all end in this Christmas story? If you'll stand with me. It reminds us of a Simeon in this Christmas story who gets to see the consolation of Israel, the comfort that will be to all people, and to celebrate that and to know that how darkened the world had become in his time, and yet he remained righteous and devout. That's the message today.